Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much, choir, for that. That was a blessing, just like it was the first service. I um, hope everybody's doing well today. Um, the great part about speaking in the second service is you don't have a time limit, right? First time, well, you got to make sure everybody gets to Sunday school, second hour. We got all afternoon. We got till 630 tonight. So I'm kidding. That's the worst thing a pastor can say. Um, but I'm excited about getting to God's word. Like Jeff mentioned before, I am Josh Stewart, the family and children pastor here at First Baptist. And I have the privilege to speak God's word to you today with Cliff being in Zambia, um, which I just want to take a second to recognize how awesome of a pastor that we have that is, doesn't only care about ministering God's word to the people here in the States and caring and upbuilding the church here, but he's willing to take a year, I mean a month out of his year to go all the way to Zambia to do the same thing there, to train young men into God's word, to build up the church in Zambia, which is very special. We have a very special pastor here that is willing to do that. So I hope you guys recognize um, the gift that God has given us. Um, let us go ahead and pray. We'll open up in God's word, and then we will uh, open up in prayer, and then we'll get into God's word. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for the, the opportunity that I have to proclaim your word. Uh, in preparation for this sermon, God, you spoke it to my heart um, and I needed to hear this probably more than anybody else in this room. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work in me, work through me, work in the hearts of the people. Anyone who needs to be convicted of sin, Lord, and repent, I pray that happens today. People who need to be encouraged today, I pray that they're encouraged. And people, Lord, that all of us, regardless of where we are, would go leave this place looking more like Jesus so we can honor you and glorify you. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Uh, while I was in seminary up in Louisville, Kentucky, in order to put bread on the table and clothes on my wife and children, I worked at a bank. Um, and it was fun. It was, it was a good part of my life. And what banks do and what we did at our bank is you have promotional periods. And what you do is you have these times that you give people a promotion or give people a gift, whether it's a $25 gift card, to come open up a checking account. Uh, maybe it's actual physical gift. The really good banks will give out actually cash to open up checking accounts. You come, you open it, within 90 days we'll give you $100 or $200 um, as long as you keep the account active for 90 days. Now the bank's goal in doing that is to build a relationship. They want your full relationship to come to that bank. They want your checking accounts, they want your savings accounts, they want your CDs, they want your IRAs, they want everything to come to them so they can earn your relationship. Well, you had some people out there that just didn't get the memo, and what they would do is they would come to the bank during the promotional period, and they would open up that checking account, but they would get their $25 gift card and then close the account out. Or they would wait those 90 days, get their reward, and then they'll check out of the bank. And I'm sure no one in this room has ever done anything like that. I'm sure none of you have been sitting um, down in Florida and gotten a phone call that someone said, hey, come to a three-hour promotional period, and if you sit through our promotional period for timeshares, when you leave, we'll give you a free vacation day. And you had no ambition at all to do that timeshare, but you went there solely for the benefit. You opened that checking account solely for the benefits that they offered. You didn't care about engaging in relationships. You didn't care about getting a new checking account so you could put all your full relationship there. You solely went to the bank. You solely went to that meeting just for the benefits. Now, in the real world, that's not a big deal. The bank expects that to happen. We know that's going to happen. However, in our spiritual lives, if we come to Jesus solely for his benefits, 
If we come to Jesus just because of what he can give us, it can be extremely dangerous. And it can be harmful for our walk with Christ. It can be harmful in our Christian lives. And so Jesus did not just come here to benefits. He wants our full relationship. He wants our full devotion. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 6 is where we're going to be. A few months ago, um, Will and I had a discussion because we've been had the honor and privilege of speaking on Sunday nights. About once a month, each of us get to speak. Cliff has been kind enough to give us some pulpit time. And we were kind of doing our own passages, doing our own um, kind of our own thing. And we both decided that doing a sermon series would be, would be good if me and him did it together. And so after talking about it, we decided that the series that we were going to do is going to be the I Am Statements of Jesus that are found in the Gospel of John. Um, I'm doing it on Sunday morning, but throughout it would be on Sunday night when we do this typically. So um, my prayer and my hope is that you guys would come and join us in the coming months as we continue through this I Am Statement. Now, there's four Gospels uh, found in the Bible, and the Gospels give us the story about Jesus. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels. And Synoptic literally means together sight or to be seen together. If you've ever read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you notice that they have very similar outlines. They have very similar stories, very similar patterns. Each author brings their unique personality to the, to the book, but they're very similar. Well, the Gospel of John is unique, and over 90% is what found in the Gospel of John is unique to John. Um, All four books are completely inspired by God. All four books are completely historically accurate. Just John gives us a unique spin that the other four don't give us. And John actually is the only Gospel that tells us the meaning behind the Gospel of why he wrote it. In John chapter 20, verses 31, he says, I'm writing this book to you so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And by believing in him, you would have life in his name. Just like what we sang about, what Connor helped us sing about earlier, that the goal in the book of John is that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And by believing in him, we would have life in his name. And so Jesus gives us these I am statements. There's seven of them. Today he says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the sheep gate. And a few more other ones that he mentions that he tells us who he is. It gives us a glimpse into his love. It gives us a glimpse into his personality. It gives us a glimpse into the person of who he is. And so as we examine these things, my heart and my goal today and the rest of the time that we explore this is that you would see that Jesus is the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior who has come. And by believing in him, you can have life in his name. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 6 is where we're going to be. We're going to start in verse 22 and go down all the way to 36. And this is what it says. This is on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there. And that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got to the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're not seeking me, excuse me, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures into eternal life, 
which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. And they said to him, Then what signs do you do, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers, fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave bread from them from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. We see two important truths in this passage today. The first truth that we see is seeking the harm and seeking Jesus solely for his benefits. And then we also see the satisfaction in seeking Jesus for Jesus. And so the first point we see here is the, the danger or the harm in seeking Jesus solely for his benefits. Now where the story picks up is right after Jesus fed the 5,000. 5,000 men gathered. When, it's, when you count women and children, it was probably between ten to 15,000 people have gathered. And this is an amazing miracle. It's the only miracle that's performed in all four of the Gospels. And they come and there's a large crowd here and they recognize pretty quickly that they need something to eat. So in Jesus, in all of his power and all of his strength, he takes five loaves of bread and two fish and multiplies it out. That everybody eats, everybody is full, and they even have 12 baskets left over. Well, this story picks up the very next day. The crowd wakes up, and most of us do when we wake up in the morning, they are hungry. The bread that they ate yesterday is now gone. And so what do they do? They seek Jesus. They go after the buffet. And they search and they can't find him. So they say, hey, well, let's go to Capernaum. So they head to Capernaum. They see Jesus and they find him. But right off the bat, Jesus recognizes where the motives are. He recognizes why they came. And he says to them, you didn't come to me because you saw a sign. Which he is saying here, you didn't come, you're not coming to me now because I fed 5,000 people and you want to experience me. You're not coming here because you want to experience me personally. You came here because your bellies are empty and you want them to be full again. He says, but what you need to do is seek for the food that doesn't perish. Don't waste your time on the food that perishes, but the one that does not perish, the food that brings eternal life. Work for that food. And the crowd responds and says, well, what work must we do, Jesus? What work must we do to earn this food that you're talking about? Sure, we'll take more food. Tell me what we need to do in order to earn that food. Where do we punch our time card, Jesus? Give me the list that we need to do. What boxes do I need to check? What work do I perform? How can I earn this favor, Jesus? How can I earn it? What must we do? What works must we do? And Jesus' response is amazing because he says something that's not even a work at all. He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent, Jesus says in verse 29. And some people in this room today need, need to hear that. 
Because you're trying to earn God's favor. You're trying to earn God's reward. You're trying to earn eternal life. And Jesus says, this is the work of God. This is the work that I require. And it's not even work at all. That you believe in the one that he has sent. That you believe in me. That is the work that God requires. The word believing or knowing is found around 90 times in the book of John. And it's always used as a verb. It's a call to action. Yes, they need to work, but not the way that they're thinking about working. Not earning God's favor or earning God's approval. They need to believe in Jesus. Believe in the one that he has sent. That is what God required of them to have eternal life. And that is what God requires of you today to have eternal life. It's believing in Jesus. Well, I think that's a pretty good answer. I would have said, awesome, let's do this. But the crowd was not satisfied with that. They come back to Jesus and they say, whoa, whoa, whoa. You make pretty big claims, Jesus. What sign do you give us? What sign can you show us to make us believe you? Yeah, you fed 5,000 people. That's pretty big. However, Moses in the Old Testament, he gave the Israelites manna for 40 years. They were able to eat for 40 years because of Moses. So if you're really that great, why can't you provide us more food? If you're really who you say you are, why can't you fill our bellies like Moses did for 40 years? I mean, Deuteronomy chapter 8 says one like Moses was coming, Jesus. If you're that one, give us more food. Do you see what they're doing here? They're completely missing out on what Jesus was intending them to do. They're completely missing out on what Jesus was trying to say. They were so focused on getting more food. They were so focused on physical satisfaction that they were completely missing out what Jesus was telling them. Believe in me. And Jesus goes on to say, listen, it wasn't Moses that gave them manna in the wilderness. It was God. And do you want to know what the true bread of life is? The true bread from heaven is the one that he has sent that brings life to the world. You see, they were so focused on physical satisfaction, but Jesus has such a bigger picture than that. Jesus was focused on life. He started off by telling them, don't work for the food that perishes. Work for the food that gives you eternal life. And he ends it by saying, listen, true bread from heaven brings life into the world. True bread from heaven won't just satisfy your hunger. True bread from heaven will satisfy all of your longings. It will satisfy you to the core spiritually. And that is why Jesus came. The crowd was seeking physical satisfaction. The harm in seeking Jesus solely for his benefits is what the crowd was doing. Now, I wish I could say that 2,000 years ago, this was over and that nobody did this today. However, in the Christian circle, it still lingers around, and it lingers around in churches and preachers and in books that preach something called the prosperity gospel. Now, last week, the prosperity gospel was mentioned a few times. Cliff mentioned it in the morning service. My dad mentioned it in the evening service. And what the prosperity gospel teaches, it teaches that the more you give, the more you give to the church, the more God will give you materially the more God will give you financially. I've heard it put that they believe that you are in a contract with God. The more you go to church, the more you pray, the more you give. In return, God will give you more things. He will give you more money. He will give you better jobs. He will give you that new Lamborghini that you're teaching. I've heard him say crazy things is if you want it, you claim it. If you want that new job, you claim it. 
Let's just forget God's will here. Let's forgive sanctification. Let's forget God moving in our midst to do individual things in individual lives. Who cares? If you want it, it's yours. Because you've done your due. Because you've tithed enough. Because you've gone to church enough. Then you should get what you want. And if, if you've read a book that said that, or have heard a preacher, or gone to a church, I want to apologize to you. Because they've given you a cheap gospel. They've given you a gospel that is solely focused on material possessions, that is solely focused on getting what you want and your belly's full. But we have a God that is so much bigger than that. We have a God that doesn't desire just to meet your physical needs. We have a God that desires to meet your spiritual needs. And we have a God that wants to satisfy you to your core, satisfy you to your inner being, satisfy you with life, with forgiveness, with redemption, with relationship with him. Our God is not concerned. He's not a genie in heaven and a lamp that you can rub. This is grant me my wishes, God. That is not the God that we serve. He is bigger than that. But let's just not focus on the guys out there. Let's not focus on the churches out there. Because even if you love Jesus deeply, even if you care for his church and desire to know him, it can still creep up even in the most devoted Christian's life. You might be wondering, how? How would I be seeking God solely for his benefits? How would I want God to meet my needs? Let's examine our hearts today. Let's think about your prayer life. Is your prayer life more concerned about financial improvement? Is it more concerned about improved health? Is it more concerned about protection? Is it more concerned about getting away from that boss or getting a better job? And less concerned with coming before God to experience God. It's not bad to pray for protection. I pray for it every night for my family. It's not bad to pray for better jobs. It's not bad to pray for improved health. But if you're more concerned about that in your life and less concerned about experiencing Jesus, then you might be falling into the trap of seeking Jesus for his benefits. What if it comes with your outlook and your community? Do you like to tell people you're a Christian because you want to improve your status at work? or improve the way people view you in the community, or maybe just to feel better about yourself. But what if instead of having a posture for what can I get out of this, how can I benefit personally? What can you give me, God? What if our posture was turned around and we said, God, what are you trying to teach me about, my, about myself and about your love and your grace through my difficult health? What are you trying to reveal to me and reveal my sinfulness when it comes to my hard marriage? What are you trying to show me about your glory? What are you more concerned about in my life? Is it getting what I want, or is it making me look more like you? What if instead of trying to improve things, we said, God, what are you revealing to me? What are you trying to show me? How are you shaping me and molding me to look more like Jesus? Our attitude and our heart should be more concerned about getting Jesus and less concerned with these benefits. Because improved health, better financial gain, getting away from that horrible boss, or whatever you think it might be, would never satisfy you. And it was never meant to. Jesus is meant to satisfy you. So how are you today? How are you trying to gain the benefits of God? How are you, trying to, how are you seeking Jesus only for his benefits? 
So are we just hopeless there? No. There's good news that follows. Look what Jesus says in verse 35. We're finally getting to the I am statement. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said it to you that you have seen me, yet you do not believe. Jesus said, I'm finally going to shoot it straight with you. I'm finally going to just come out and say it. I am the bread of life. And if you come to me, you will never hunger again. And if you come to me, you will never thirst. Because I am not here to just fill your bellies with material things. I am not here just to give you more stuff or get you a better life that you think is better. I'm here to give you so much more. I'm here to give you spiritual life that will never, ever run dry, that will completely satisfy you. Come and dine with me, and you will hunger no more. And clearly, he's talking spiritual here. Spiritually, Jesus can offer us himself. He is the bread of life. And when we come and we feast and dine at the table, it says that we will never hunger again, and we will never thirst again. Those are powerful statements. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the one that satisfies. And we see it all around the world, people longing for something more. There's a blog called Searching for Something by a student named Michelle. Listen to what she says. She says, I'm stuffing chocolate in my mouth as much as I can take in. It's sickening sweet, dripping down my throat, coating my tongue. I can't take it. I'm not hungry. Yet I stuff it in, try to avoid that which cannot be solved by stuff. When you think about it, hunger is so easy to solve. The action of eating will cause some of getting food into my mouth. Yet we hunger. We hunger because we do not have food. We hunger because we have no time to eat. We hunger because we diet. We hunger because we are not satisfied. I just downed a bar of Hershey's chocolate, yet I'm still hungry. Listen to what she says here. Hungry for answers to things that cannot be solved through simple arithmetic or logic. Hungry for someone to tell me what I'm living for, for I have no answers. We've all been there. We've eaten at a restaurant. We've eaten from great home cooking. And we were stuffed and we were satisfied. We maybe get that new promotion. We enter into that new marriage. We step into a new house. Great circumstances. And it's awesome. But we're never satisfied. We're always longing for more. I think about billionaires. I think Shark Tank is one of my favorite TV shows. And it comes on ABC and it's these billionaires that stand up on stage. And these people come in and they pitch them ideas. You know, the next new business, the next big thing. And these, these sharks, these investors, can invest in the business. These guys and girls have billions of dollars. Why do they care about making more money? Why? Because I don't know all of them. I can't speak for all of them. But my assumption would be that they are longing for more. They want more money. They want more things. But the bottom line is they could have all the money in the world and they would never be satisfied. Because we hunger for something that is deeper than material things. We hunger for something that is deeper than anything this world can provide. We hunger for the bread of life. 
We hunger for Jesus himself. And it is only in relationship with him that we are able to have true life, true satisfaction, and true meaning and purpose. So there is harm in seeking Jesus solely for his benefits, but there is satisfaction in seeking Jesus for himself. Because that is what all of us need. That is what this world needs. That is what everyone you encounter needs, that we need Jesus. We need him to satisfy our longings. So there's probably two types of people in this room. The first type is probably someone who's never accepted Jesus before. They've never entered into that relationship with him. And maybe you're like the crowd. You keep saying, Jesus, show me something. Show me more. Improve my life. Give me that relationship that I'm desiring for. Let my kids be more well-behaved. Do those things, and then, then maybe I'll come to you. I want more signs. Well, I'm here to tell you the biggest sign that Jesus displayed was on the cross. It was on the cross that Jesus says, I lay down my life as a ransom for many so that you can have life with me. So you can have forgiveness, so you can have redemption, so that you can be justified, your, your debt canceled, so you can be made righteous before me. I've done it all. And there's no other sign that Jesus can do that is bigger than the sign that he's already done. So come to him. Believe in the one that God has, has sent have eternal life, have forgiveness of sins. But most of us in this room, we are Christians, and we love God deeply. But my question to you today is, how are you seeking Jesus for his benefits? What are you looking for satisfaction in that is not Jesus? Whether it's a relationship, whether it's material things, whether it's improved job status, or whatever the case might be. What are you seeking? It would never satisfy you. It was never supposed to. But Jesus will satisfy. And so my invitation, Jesus' invitation more importantly, is to come to him. The last verse here, he says, I've said these things, yet you still do not believe. Please don't let that be us today. We've heard God's word. Let us just not believe and say, whatever, Jesus, I still want more. Or whatever, Jesus, I'm still all about me. Ask Jesus in your difficulties, in your struggles, in your hardships, how are you shaping me to be more like Jesus? And how can I know you more intimately and more deeply through this situation? It's okay to pray for improved situations, but that shouldn't be your heart and your soul desire. Your sole desire should be encounter Jesus, to encounter the bread of life, to encounter the one that has done it all. Come to Jesus for Jesus, because then you'll be satisfied, and then your heart's longings will be complete. In the very end, book of Revelation, verses 22, one of the last sayings or the last scripture verses is an invitation. And it says this in verse 17 of chapter 22, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears says, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. Come to the one who can satisfy you without price. Come drink 
fully of who Jesus is, come dine at the table of the bread of life and enjoy satisfaction for your soul. Come to Jesus, whether it's for the first time or whether it's for the thousandth time. We all need to come to Jesus because we all need Jesus. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for this day. I thank you so much for this opportunity as I proclaim this, as I prepare to this, God. This might have been a passage you were just speaking to me. This might have been a sermon that I just needed to hear. But I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would go out among everyone who's heard this sermon and do the work of the Holy Spirit. Work in our hearts, work in our souls, that how can we love Jesus more? How can we be more like Jesus? How can we come to Jesus for Jesus? Not seeking benefits that will never satisfy us. Let us not be like the crowd. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for love. Thank you for grace. If anyone in this room, O oh Lord, has desired to know you, Jesus, help them to talk to me, talk to the other pastors, talk to whoever they came with, that we get to know you deeply, God, and love you supremely. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.